This is the Get Healthy 360 podcast, where we discuss topics related to your physical, mental, psychological, and spiritual health. Your host is Dr. Chris Ferguson, board certified in anesthesiology and pain management. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and you should consult your primary healthcare provider before making any decisions related to your health. And here's your host, Dr. Chris Ferguson. Today we have Natasha Abadilla. She is a third-year Stanford medical student. She has a unique story because typically when people think of people who have been abused or women that are in abusive relationships, typically they think of someone who's very timid, who's from like a broken home, um, broken relationships, but that is not really the case. Natasha, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Do you want to give a little bit about your background and then the progression of your story? Yeah, sure. I was born and raised in Hawaii. The first time I left Hawaii to live somewhere else was for undergrad. I went to Stanford University in California. I was a human biology major after graduating. I wanted to take some time off because I wanted to kind of figure out if I really did want to go to med school or if I wanted to do something other than that, health-related, do some public health work or health policy work instead. So I found myself um, in Kenya for two years, working first with a grassroots nonprofit and then with a social enterprise in Kenya. And then after those two years, I had realized that I really do want to become a physician. So I interviewed for med schools. I ended up where I am now at Stanford School of Medicine, and I am currently a third-year med student. So you were telling me offline that the stereotype is that women who get into these abusive relationships, and sometimes men get into these abusive relationships as well, but typically it's women. The stereotype is it's usually from broken homes or divorced parents or you weren't loved as a child or some sort of issue. Um, Yeah, that's the stereotype. And that's what people say the majority of these people who get into these abusive relationships come from. But, you know, both of my parents are married. I come from a very loving home. My mom is the nicest person that I've ever met in my entire life. And my dad has always been extremely supportive and encouraging. They're immigrants from the Philippines, so they've always done every single thing they can so that my little sister and I can have a very good life, uh, better than they had growing up. So that was definitely not the case for me. I have tons of friends. That's not to brag or anything, but I'm a very people-oriented person. I think if you met me in person, you'd you'd realize that I'm not shy at all. Well, you're doing this podcast, so I'll, yeah. clearly you're not shy. <laughs> what you're telling me offline also is up until you met this person in Kenya, all your relationships were very functional. Oh, yeah. They were always very functional. They were great, healthy relationships. I'm still best friends with the guy that I dated before this abusive relationship. We were together for four years. You know, we under we had mutual understanding when we broke up. I think that the relationships since have been very healthy as well. We can call him Abusive Bob to make things okay. easier. <laughs> so you moved to Kenya. Do you want to describe yeah. how the relationship started? So I moved to Kenya and I was working in very rural Kenya for this great grassroots nonprofit organization. I would go to Nairobi, which is the capital city, sometimes on the weekends with a colleague. People think of Kenya as, you know, a lot of people don't know what life in Kenya is like. They think, you know, dirt huts and no electricity and like not a lot of running water, which is true in some areas of Kenya, but definitely not in Nairobi. Nairobi is like the New York City of East Africa. 
lots of clubs, lots of malls, KFC and the Cheesecake Factory. Not really the Cheesecake Factory, but Coldstone. Coldstone was there. Coldstone delivered to your house if you wanted. So I would go there on the weekends just kind of to to see other people and to meet up with friends. And I met this abusive Bob through one of my colleagues who I worked with through some mutual friends. You know, we hit it off. He was he was great. He was charismatic, very passionate about the work that he did. We went on some dates. We realized the sense of liking each other was mutual, and we started dating. So no um, weird flags. He wasn't, like, kicking puppies or... <laughs> no, not at all. Stealing, um, stealing from Colstone or no, anything like no, that. No, not at all. He was very educated, very intelligent, interesting, could carry on a great conversation, not just about the weather. Very normal beginning of a relationship. Okay, so then... That sounds like the start of any normal relationship. So what was the first step? Looking back, it seems like these things are almost like that frog in a slowly boiling pot analogy. But what was that first thing that, thinking back, that happened? We went out. He was drunk. I also was a little bit tipsy. And I could have been very drunk, too. And we argued. I was not backing down from whatever we were arguing about. And that was the first time he hit me. It was under the influence of alcohol. Afterwards, he was very, very sorry, profusely apologized. I had like a little cut in my lip and I was a little bit banged up. I took his apology and I forgave him. I like took it to heart, thought that he loved me, iced my lip and went to work the next Monday and it was fine. Um, It happened again. How much longer? How long did it take? I think it was two weekends later we're arguing again and he hit me again it was under the influence of alcohol again you know i thought to myself like it's under the influence of alcohol it's not like the best of situations but he's not doing it while he's sober he loves me he apologizes afterwards and it continued like that when we were both drunk or when he was drunk and then after a while we would just argue he would hit me while he was sober so wait in the beginning you thought he loved you because he profusely apologized the first time I thought it was a one-off. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, he was drunk, he lost his temper, he has anger issues, he apologized when he was sober, and he was sorry. I'm belaboring that point because I'm sure there are people who are in that phase of this right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm really highlighting how this starts. Yeah, it starts as a one-off. Everything starts as a one-off, but then it isn't a one-off. And I think that if I realize when it stopped being just a one-time thing or a two-time thing, and I kind of had more time to self-reflect on where I was and what was happening to me, I feel like I might, maybe not, but I might have been more cognizant and been able to escape before I got really bad. Naturally, you have a lot of friends around you. You have a social circle around you. Yeah. What was your reaction or what was their reaction to this? I never told them. I never told a single soul until I got back to the United States right before starting med school. Um, I never told anyone. I told them that we were in an argument, that we were fighting, that we weren't the best terms, my ex-partner and I. I never told anyone that he hit me. And it was so easy to, I mean, I had a very big support system who would have swooped in and saved me at the drop of a hat if I had told someone that. But it was just so easy because of, you know, I'm very confident and I was very good at the jobs that I was doing, the work that I did. And I I got very good at covering up my bruises with makeup. But Um, it's it's in Nairobi. It's not Canada in the middle of winter. So how logistically did you do that? 
And the reason I'm asking is because if you know to look for it in your friends, then I'm hoping that someone can intervene on someone else's behalf. You know what? I think domestic violence, no matter where you are, whether you're in Canada, United States, and Nairobi, I think it's everyone's kind of like dirty secret. A thing that happens between two people who are very, very often in an intimate relationship, in a very close relationship, people are afraid sometimes to ask what is actually going on. You know, are you actually just arguing or are you being emotionally or physically abused? And I think that that, you know, it kind of opens up Pandora's box. And as well-meaning and supportive as my friends are, they would have definitely helped me, as I said. I think, you know, some of them just didn't think to ask. A lot of people later on have told me that had other people who have been in abusive relationships and they were kind of afraid to ask. Still, more people told me, but you were so happy. You were so confident. I could never have suspected anything. I really do think that if you are a friend or a family member and you suspect something, to not be afraid to probe more. How physical or how far did this escalate? Oh, it was really bad. Black and blue eyes. There was a point where I had to stay home from work in Nairobi because I couldn't figure out how to color correct with makeup or how to use enough foundation to cover things up. There was a point one of my eyes couldn't open physically because it was so swollen. So it was really bad. He choked me. He kicked me while I was down. Bruises all over my body. Points at which I couldn't stop coughing. I think... I was pre-med, so I was worried about my health, and I was seriously thinking that something was wrong with one of my lungs or rib cage or something like that. It was extremely, extremely bad, and if I hadn't gotten out when I did, I really do think I would be dead right now. And you were in contact with your parents this whole time. I was in contact with my parents, and that, that makes me feel the saddest of all. I came out publicly with my story through a Stanford Med blog. Uh, Stanford Med has a blog called Scope, and there is a section called Stanford Med School Unplugged where medical students are able to write pieces about their lives as med students or their experiences. And October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I came out publicly through this blog. I hadn't told my mom and dad about this yet. You know, it's 2018 now, and I started med school in August of 2016, so I left Kenya in maybe June or July of 2016. I hadn't told my mom and dad about it. I had spoken to a very few choice amount of friends about it and my therapist about it, but not my mom and dad. So before the blog came out, I kind of prepared them for it. I asked my sister to help prepare them for it as well because I knew they would feel guilty and bad for not knowing and I have a very good relationship with them. My mom's my mom's my best friend. I tell her everything from med school problems to boy problems. But I didn't tell her about this. At what point did you get the therapist? I went to therapy while I was an undergrad. I'm very thankful that Stanford has a very good support system and psychological service system. So I had therapy sessions when I was an undergrad. I've, I've had friends pass away, friends commit suicide. So I, it wasn't my first time to therapy, but I got a therapist when I started medical school as well, a more regular therapist, just because I was still coming off of that abusive relationship with the stress of starting med school again. Everyone needs some mental care. 
And what was your experience with the therapist? Because therapy is also one of those things that no one really likes to talk about. I think a thing that a lot of people probably need, but are almost ashamed or afraid to do because they just don't know what it is and what you would do in therapy. My experience with the therapist was very, very good. So I, I saw a psychologist and a psychiatrist. They kind of helped me talk through my problems in a non-judgmental way. My big problems, as in like this abusive relationship, and also my little problems, like being stressed out about med school, you know, feeling like I couldn't manage my time. It's just a really, I, I am all for it. It's just a really good idea to talk to someone who doesn't know you, doesn't have any stake in your career, doesn't have any stake in your social circles, and will listen to you in a non-judgmental way and give professional advice. I think anyone who has the privilege of having someone like that should definitely take advantage of it. Are you willing to share any of the insights that your therapist gave you, maybe other, that could benefit other people? In terms of post-abusive relationship? Yes. Yeah. My therapist is very adamant in saying that this was not my fault, that none of this was my fault. When I was in the abusive relationship, I was made to think and brainwashed by abusive Bob to think that the arguments that we got in were mostly my fault, that I was so spunky and so combative. I had provoked him to the point where he got so angry he needed to hit me. Obviously, I'm intelligent. I'm at Stanford Med School, you know, very confident and independent. You wouldn't think if my friends don't believe that it happened to me, like can't fathom how I could let myself get that brainwashed. But I did. And I think a really important thing that my therapist said the first time I opened up about this relationship was that none of this was my fault. That as spunky as I am, as uh, annoying as I could be when I'm in an argument, that doesn't give anyone the right to harm you and abuse you. And how did you react to the therapist telling you that? By that time, I had had enough distance, physical distance from this person in Kenya to realize that myself. But it just kind of affirmed what, you know, I'd already realized on my own. I think as a therapist, the, the thing to be concerned about is going forward. If you would lapse into this type of relationship again, because some people will go people from a, abusive yeah. relationship to abusive relationship, etc. But that wasn't yeah. your pattern. This was the first time it happened to you. It was my first time and fingers crossed my last. I've been in very healthy relationships since. By the time I had opening for an appointment with a therapist, I was dating already. And my therapist made sure to ask me like how my relationship was, like how the dating relationship was. And it was a good one. So I don't think my therapist felt the need to counsel me on that. But obviously with every session, my therapist would check in. So to roll back, because we skipped over how this relationship ended. So it started off with him hitting you and then became more frequent and then it really escalated. How did this end? Yeah, it ended with me getting into medical school. Part of this blog that I wrote when I came out publicly talked about how medical school literally saved my life. Being able to get that physical distance from this person, from this environment, from this you know, fantasy world that I created for myself that I had been brainwashed into thinking that he actually loves me and, you know, just has really bad anger issues. Being able to get that literal distance from it um, really helped me to see that this wasn't a long distance relationship that I wanted to have. It wasn't something that I wanted to hope to hold on to. This is not how a relationship's supposed to be. Is there anything someone could have said to you while you were going through all this that could have helped you? 
you know, I, I actually just saw one of my very, very close girlfriends who I was closer than Kenya, who let me stay in her apartment while she was traveling, her Kenya apartment while she was traveling because I was saying that my ex-boyfriend and I were arguing. She actually just stayed in my apartment for the weekend. You know, she told me that she'd read my blog and that she was so sorry. She had never even could never even guess that that was what was happening and wished that I told her. I guess what I want people to take away from my story is that some of the women and sometimes men who are in the worst situations, some of them are the most confident and the most independent seeming. I think once one of my friends sensed that I was constantly getting into arguments and disagreements with my ex-boyfriend such that I wanted to hang out with them so much, such that I needed to stay at their apartments, if one of them asked me, is he hitting you? I think that would have snapped me out of it. I had domestic violence and intimate partner violence is such personal thing between two people that the person who's the victim can so easily just think herself into downward spiral and just pretend and talk herself into thinking that this person actually loves them. I think if someone else were to just ask, is he hitting you? Not even a close friend. Like I went to an eye doctor because I needed a new prescription for glasses because he broke my glasses to make sure that I wouldn't be able to see. He broke my eyeglasses and my eyes were too swollen to make me feel okay putting contact lenses in. I went to an optometrist. My eyes were bloodshot because the small blood vessels in my eyes were broken from when he hit me. And I remember just thinking, I really hope this optometrist will ask me. Like I was, I was really desperate for someone to ask me. And I think, you know, I was too, I think the feeling was shame at that time. Just a lot of shame for letting someone get that far with physically abusing me. I was scared of him getting found out as well because I thought I loved him too. And I didn't want to ruin this quote unquote special relationship that we had. And if someone had just asked me, is he physically hitting you? I think that would have snapped me out of this like two person world that I had created of this like loving relationship that just sometimes goes bad and would have brought me back to reality and made me realize, no, this is not what should be happening in a good, healthy relationship. And since moving on from this offline, you were saying that now you're in a very healthy, happy relationship. What would you want to tell someone who is perhaps in that situation or is getting into that situation or is thinking of leaving that situation? How would you compare and contrast a normal, healthy relationship to everything you just went through? No one's really asked me that question as specifically as you just did. I've had conversations that have roundabout kind of asked me that question. But I think the most important thing to think about is, does the person you're with make you feel fear? And if at any moment you are scared of someone hitting you or of someone putting you down with his or her words, even when you're having an argument, I think that is a very, very big red flag. And I think that you should just grasp onto that fear that you might be feeling and know that that's not something that happens in a very healthy relationship. Which is worse or which do you recall being worse? The physical abuse or the emotional abuse? Oh, the emotional abuse. Hands down. That's a very, very quick answer. I could take the hitting, the black eyes, the pain, but I think the emotional abuse was worse because after a while I felt so isolated. The physical abuse kept me from 
going to work or didn't keep me from going to work. I learned how to cover it up so well with makeup. But the emotional abuse was worse because I felt like, you know, I loved someone with all my heart, but wasn't always reciprocated. I felt like it was always my fault when I got hit because I was too spunky. I was too outspoken. I'm not supposed to argue that much. It was a dampening of my spirit, I think. That sounds super hippy-dippy, but I can say that the emotional abuse was worse at the time, and it's even worse, you know, moving forward now. What would you say to someone's parents or someone is friends with someone who is in a very unhealthy relationship? What advice would you have for them if they are aware of this situation and they want to do something? I would say... Make sure your relationship with that person is strong enough such that she trusts you. And I'm using she just because, you know, the vast majority of people in relationships like this are female. I would say just as they tell us in med school, when you think someone is suicidal, you really need to ask that very explicit question. Is he hitting you? I think you shouldn't be afraid of asking that question. I think you shouldn't be afraid of the repercussions. I think it's a very important question to ask, but also be careful when you're asking that question. Make sure you're not around that person that um, might be doing the abusing. Well, what about asking about the emotional abuse? Like, how would you ask that? Any suggestions? I would ask open-ended questions. I wouldn't turn it into a yes or no, you know, interrogation scenario. I would ask more open-ended questions and just, Make sure that it's a very accepting environment. Don't make the person feel like you are judging her for letting herself be either physically or emotionally abused for that long. I think that that's the best anyone can do. And I also, I also encourage anyone who thinks that they know someone who is going through a domestic abusive relationship to call. There's a national domestic violence hotline in the United States, and I'm sure there are various others in other countries. I encourage that. I think that they have great resources for helping people through their unique circumstances. You're also on social media. You're on Twitter, correct? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Natasha Abadilla, A-B-A-D-I-L-L-A. If anyone wants to contact me or share their story or ask me more questions about my experience, I definitely invite you to reach out. And my blog is up on the Stanford Med School blog as well. And just because this is such an important topic, I think it'd be appropriate to close with you... Like, let's just pretend that you're speaking to someone who, again, is in one of these phases of an abusive relationship. What would you really want them to know or what would you want to tell them? I want to tell them that you're not alone. This is so much more common than anyone really knows. It's like the dirty little secret that people want to keep secretive. I want to tell them that he or she shouldn't feel embarrassed or ashamed that they let this happen to them. So many more people, even complete strangers, care so much more about your well-being than your abuser does. It might be hard to realize it, but I would encourage them to think about whether or not they'd want their best friend or sister or mom to be going through the same thing and act from there. The well said. Natasha, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and visit the Get Healthy 360 Facebook page. We are always looking for feedback and new story ideas. Thanks again, and see you next time.